Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Feeling a bit better, thank gosh, this week. Although uh, I really can't complain too much because apparently the flu that's going around is knocking a lot of people on their butts. And I actually did fare pretty well with it. Just some congestion. Lost my voice. That was not fun. I had three days, including a day that was supposed to have an observation where I could barely talk, which really makes it difficult to do what I do. But anyway, I'm feeling better. And now it's just going to be the occasional clearing my throat because, you know, it's lingering just a little bit. So... Luckily, this isn't live. This is why I could never imagine doing live because there are so many times where you sneeze or do something and you can just go back and cut it out and live, it's there forever. So thank gosh I have this ability, although I do want to go live someday. We'll see how it goes. We just have to deal with the fact that there's probably going to be a lot of shenanigans with dogs and sniffing and everything in the background. So anyway, moving on. Last week, we covered some of the issues that I've had people ask me about over the years. Things like burning candles. Are they, you know, is it dangerous to the tarantula? We talked about sound systems and the nice thing was we had some people like, like I never even thought of that. Those questions never crossed my mind, which is totally cool. Well, new topic to think about. And then for a lot of people, I did get some people come up and say, thanks so much. These were questions I really worried about. And I think with a lot of us, you get the pets in the house and you you think about these things, but you've done them. So for example, we burned candles for years and it never even crossed my mind till way later on. I was on a forum and somebody was talking about, and you know, one of the doomsday type people that just everything's harmful to your animals was like, you're going to kill all your tarantulas burning those things. Those chemicals are terrible. And, and, and I don't know, maybe you'd read some article or something that said that they were bad for you or whatever, or, but there hasn't really been any evidence for that. And then I just look at the fact that I have a snake that I've had for 24 years. I've had, you know, one of my tarantulas for 24 years. And over that time, we've, we haven't had seen any real evidence that it harms them. I mean, I've, again, with the sound system, we used to have them right in the same room with it. And if it didn't get too bassy, there was no issue. Sometimes you'd see them kind of scatter because they'd think somebody was coming, but nothing huge. And again, that's just my observations from my house, from my little microcosm over here. However, I have spoken to other people over the years that do the same thing. We haven't seen any issues. So again, it comes down to just, you know, you can use this stuff. Be careful when you use it and just use common sense. I think that's what it comes down to. But anyway, doing this topic last week, there were some other things I was going to cover. And unfortunately, my voice was starting to give out and I really needed it. So I didn't get the cover. So we're going to, I said, we'd probably break it in half. And I like the ones we have today deal mostly with risk with enclosure setups as one exception. So I think it'll be neat because it kind of, you know, out of necessity, I had to break it in two, but it kind of works out because we get two slightly different podcast topics for it. So anyway, enough of yammering on. Let's get into the actual podcast and the meat of it. And these are going to involve some questions I've gotten over the years, received over the years. Some of them are, you know, I'll, pil- I'll post a video up and somebody will come up and go, hey, I noticed you're using the Exoterra enclosures. Uh, what do you know about the wire tops? I've heard that they can get their claws stuck in them. So that's been one that's come up quite a bit lately because I've been doing a lot of the bioactive enclosures and the majority of the ones I have set up right now are using some type of Exoterra or ZooMed enclosure that have the wire mesh tops. Now to kick this particular question off, I'll use myself as an example. When I first started getting serious into the hobby, I started looking at different enclosures and these Exoterra ones popped up and the little cubes, the 8x8 cubes are usually rather inexpensive. You can get them on Amazon like you know, two-day shipping, 30 bucks, which is a good deal for a nice, beautiful-looking glass enclosure. Granted, the layout of them doesn't make them ideal for a lot of species because there's not a lot of depth for substrate, but I picked one of these things up. I'm like, this is gorgeous. It was one of my first, quote-unquote, expensive enclosures because I was really kind of a found enclosure guy back in the day. I didn't buy a lot of expensive ones. I had a couple couple Jamie's enclosures, and that was about it. Loved the Jamie's enclosures, but was too cheap to purchase more. So anyway, we get this enclosure, and I notice there is wire on the top, and I'm doing some reading, 
And I think I found a thread probably on Arachnoboards or something where they were talking about how dangerous the wire tops were that they could get their, you know, feet caught and left be left dangling. And I'm going to be honest, I was an idiot because I just kind of I, I put it in the back of my mind. I mean, I, was, I thought about it. I'm like, mm, this is interesting, but I'll tell you what ended up happening. And this is where you know you make mistakes early on. And I always tell everybody if you if there's a mistake to be made, I likely made it at one point myself. I, I feel guilty or I feel terrible when people come up and they're like embarrassed because they made a boo boo and they're like, you're gonna judge me. I'm like, no, I'm not because we've all done it and I've done some stupid stuff. And this is one of the stupider things because I did read stuff on it. I knew it was a possibility. And I think the kind of the, the, the over, overlying theme of today's podcast is, is going to kind of be risk versus reward. What are you willing to risk and what's the reward going to be? For me, in this instance, I didn't have plexiglass on hand. I wanted to use this enclosure came in. It looked gorgeous. I was dying to use it. So I filled it with some substrate and I put my Brachypelma Baby Baumgartney hybrid that was about three inches or so at the time, so a little smaller, in that enclosure with the hide, you know, the whole setup. And it was great. And she looked great in it. I love the look of the enclosure. I love the fact the door, you could open the door from the front. She was a little crazy, so I usually open the door from the top. And everything was fine. And I used it for quite some time, and there was no issue. And I read things online, people going, oh, they get stuck. And I'm like, yeah, how often does that happen? Well, one morning I got up, and I'm getting dressed. And as I'm getting dressed, I notice some movement out of the corner of my eye, and I realize it's Lazarus, my Brachypelma baby, Baumgartney hybrid, with two legs, it appeared to be two legs, or feet more accurately, caught in the wire mesh to the top of the enclosure, and she was dangling, and she couldn't get down. And it was full panic mode, because... First thing that came to mind when I saw this was, you idiot, you knew this could happen, and here it is, it's happening. So you're sitting there, first thing is like 5 o'clock in the morning, trying to figure out how to get this tarantula unstuck without having it be harmed in the process. So it caused a lot of stress for the tarantula, obviously, it caused a lot of stress for me, and I felt like an idiot because I knew that this was a possibility that this could happen, and I still kept that top in there. So luckily, it didn't take much to get her off. I ended up opening the front of the enclosure and sliding a thick piece of cardboard in to support her underneath, and as I started picking her up, she got her two legs caught, which was another nightmare because she almost ran right out of the cage, and then she was kicking hairs. So, you know, stressful for her, stressful for me. More, Who cares about my stress? It was my own fault because I knew this could happen. So I saw, you know, I experienced firsthand, yes, they can get their toe claws caught in the wire mesh. That's without a doubt in my mind, it can happen. And again, when it comes down to risk versus reward, the reward is you don't have to alter the enclosures. Uh, what I do now is when I get the Exoterra enclosures in, I cut out the wire mesh and replace it with drilled plexiglass. I Actually, one of the things I'm using now, a little tip for people, a little bit easier to cut, is you can buy the plastic stuff that you use to replace glass in frames, and it's thinner plexiglass, and it's a lot easier to cut and drill, and I use that now and put it over top of the opening. So basically, you pull out, there's a little rubber gasket, you pull out the gasket, you pull out the screen, which can be a pain in the butt because they do put little dabs of it looks like epoxy around the corners but then you replace it you glue in you can use silicone you can use gorilla glue whatever you want to glue in the new plastic but anyway i do that with everything now because after this experience i realized that i made a huge miscalculation the risk wasn't worth the reward which was just kind of laziness on my part and i get it people get these in and a lot of people i'm fortunate that i spent years working for a contractor i did boat repair so i know how to use tools i'm handy that way and i also get that some people don't have that background 
where they can just have the tools with them to do the cutting the plexiglass and drilling and everything. I totally get that. But if you're going to use those enclosures, it really, for the safety of your tarantulas, you want to replace those tops. Now, I've heard that arboreal species are a little, they, they don't get stuck as often or people haven't seen the arboreal species get stuck. I don't know. I don't have any evidence to either support or refute that. I use a bunch of them now for the arboreals and I still replace all the tops with them. Because again, I think if you see it happen once and that I don't know how long she was there for. I assume she wasn't there all that long, but I have spoken to people that have come home from work and found spiders dangling from the tops and they're in terrible shape because they're not able to get out. I've heard situations where they have lost legs because of it. And in the worst situation I heard, I believe it lost three legs and it bled out because one of the legs didn't rip off in the correct area. I forget what it was, but it was, he showed me pictures. He was horrified and he felt terrible because he had read, like I had, that this could be a possibility, but he just didn't believe it. So when people ask me, is this a possibility? Can a tarantula's claws, foot claws, toe claws be caught in wire mesh? Yes, it seems like they absolutely can. And it seems to be the wire mesh is the big issue. I have other enclosures that have a metal top, but instead of wire mesh, it's almost like they drilled holes. I don't know how to explain this. There's like, it's ventilated, but it almost looks like wire mesh until you look at it closely. And it's one piece of metal that they drilled a million holes in. And that, I haven't had any problems with those whatsoever. The wire mesh, I think it's because of the overlapping. It's it's wire, one piece of wire crossed with another piece of wire, which makes a little tricky spot there that they can get their claws caught in. But obviously, yes, it can happen. Yes, it's an absolute danger to them. And no, I personally wouldn't do that again. Do I think that the risk is worth the reward in this case? No, it's not. Pick up the cage, you know, and there's a lot of tutorials out there. I'm trying to put one together, but the last the last tutorial I did was trying to take the screen out of the top of the enclosure and replace it with plexiglass. I ended up getting the the little edges of the wire mesh basically cut my hands to pieces. My hands were dry. They were stabbed my fingers. It was like blood everywhere. So we went to rewatch the video and I'm like, this isn't going to work. This is just nasty. So I do have to do one of those, but there are tutorials out there. A buddy of mine, Basin, who has a YouTube channel, does a tutorial where he shows how to put the basically the plexiglass up without having to remove the screen, which is a heck of a lot easier than what I do. So there are a lot of different things you can do, a lot of different tutorials you can look at, but I do advise anybody that's going to use these enclosures, replace the tops. It's not a myth. They can get caught and you could end up with a dead or injured spider. And that's not what we're in this hobby for. We need to keep our animals safe. So if we know there's a possibility that this can happen and I've seen it, it's up to us to do due diligence and make sure that it can't happen in our own collections. Now, moving on a similar topic. One of the things that comes out sometimes that you hear talked about is the fact that a lot of the tarantula enclosures, especially the nicely made acrylic enclosures, will come with wire mesh vents. And I had heard years ago that terrestrial species can chew right through the wire mesh vents. Again, I'm going to make myself sound like an idiot here, but I'll hopefully explain so I don't sound too bad. So basically, back in the day, I bought three of the Lorex plastic enclosures. I love these enclosures. They do a nice job. They're very reasonably priced compared to other acrylic enclosures out there. And I picked up three. They're like five and a half gallon ones. Make a long story short, I set them all up, and one of them I put a Lazyodora parahybana female in. She was about four inches, four or five inches or so. And all the enclosures came with the wire mesh vents. So I remember getting them in. I remember ordering them thinking, all right, worst case scenario, I can pop these out and replace them. Because the good thing is they're just popped in. They're the ones you pop in, fold the tabs out, and they didn't bother gluing them in, which was a good thing. So I figured I'd just keep an eye on them and see what happens. Well, couple, it was about, oh God, probably eight, nine months after I first put her in. She had molted a couple times. 
I came in one day and I was doing feedings and I pulled, I had two of the cages right next to each other and I pulled one of the cages down. I looked at the other cage and she had chewed completely through the vent. I mean, 100, I'm amazed she didn't escape. And again, this is another example of something that could have ended tragically that luckily it didn't. And it would have, it wouldn't have been tragic. It would have been stupidity on my part because I had heard there was an issue with this and I figured I'd just keep an eye on it and ignore it. But anyway, Pulled the enclosure away. She had chewed right through the vent, all the way through it. Now, let's think of this for a minute, what, how bad this could have been. She could have been caught because that wire becomes sharp. She could have been caught trying to get out, could have had her abdomen punctured, could have died that way. She was on a shelf that was about four and a half feet from the ground. So had she gotten out, she could have fallen off that shelf. I could have lost her. There are many things that could have happened to that spider as a result of my negligence for ignoring the warnings on these vents. So I did do a video later on. I, I believe it must have been on Lazy Dora Parahy Band. It must have been an update on her where I showed the actual vent and people were horrified. Like, I can't believe they did that. They can do that. And if you think about it, in the wild, they can dig through stuff with their fangs. They can use their fangs to get through pretty, you know, rough, packed down dirt. So it shouldn't have been a shock. I obviously had heard about it. I just really didn't think it was going to be an issue. And lo and behold, she chewed right through it. So we ended up replacing those. And we, but the good thing is with the wire vents you can usually find the plastic ones that they can't chew through and they're rather inexpensive i go to i think it's roundvents.com and i replaced all the vents and all the enclosures that's all i needed that was all the proof i needed i could have lost my big female because of that but they're not difficult to replace but i still have people that will come on and ask questions about that and i had one guy recently that i posted i think it was on my video where i compared the lorex enclosures to the jamie's enclosures and he basically went well how common really is that and i how many times did it need to happen? I mean, she could, again, she could have fallen. She could have broken her fangs. That's another thing. They're digging through that wire. They could break their fangs. And actually, now that I think of it, I think it might have been that Lorex versus Jamie's enclosure video that I included the vent on. So there was no excuse there. I actually showed the proof of it, but he was like, ah, oh, it's not that common. I'm like, yeah, that's what I was thinking, and this is where it got me. So f just to let people know, I love, I still love Lorex enclosures, and they do make them now with drilled vent holes, and it was kind of a response to some of the issues with the wire vents, especially with tarantulas. So they, this is not an issue anymore. You can order their enclosures with the drilled holes. They're much better. But if you do pick up an enclosure, or you're making your own enclosure, and you have a terrestrial species, it does, this is one that doesn't seem to be an issue with the arboreals. I haven't heard it happening, and hopefully somebody will chime if it has, because it's happened with even one arboreal, then it can happen with arboreals. But it seems to be more of an issue with the terrestrial species where they'll dig right through it. What happens is they sense that there is the airflow coming through those vents and they go to explore it. They realize, hey, I can get a fang in here. Next thing you know it, they're ripping right through it. So again, with the podcast, the only downside of the podcast, I love the fact that we can have the conversational, you know, discussions about these types of topics but there's no picture when you see a picture of that vent it's amazing like she ripped that vent apart so yes for people who are out there wondering if you have the wire mesh vents they absolutely can chew through them without much difficulty at all she did this in about an evening which is horrifying so if you get those type of vents do not again you don't want them even if they couldn't get through them the fact that they're ripping them trying to rip them apart with their fangs puts their fangs in jeopardy that can't be understated so i would personally if you have one of those type enclosures, figure out a way to replace those vents. They, the, the plastic ones work great. I would not take the chance. So again, it comes down to risk versus reward, mitigating those risks. I don't think the risk is worth the reward in this sense because 
you know, the reward is what you, it took maybe five minutes. This was a sad part. It took maybe five minutes for me to replace the, all the events on all of those. You just pop the tabs, pop them out and pop the, the little plastic ones right back in. It was easy as pie. So there really is no reward side from this, except just saving yourselves a couple minutes of time. The risk, however, is considerable. So, yep, with the vents, again, that's this one's going to fall in the territory of not worth the risk as far as I'm concerned. Hopefully other people can chime in that have had similar experiences. We've all done it. And I think it, we all find ourselves in that position one time or another where we hear something and go, what are really the chances of that happening? And I think that's kind of like there's so many things we do in life that there's a chance of something happening and you just go, you have to kind of weigh is how big of a chance is it worth the risk? And I do think in these cases, they are not worth the risk. So now the next one, I get this one quite a bit. And I think part of it is due to the fact that from what I've gathered talking to some European keepers, it's a popular practice that they make fun of us sometimes for buying dirt when they can just, like they said, my whole backyard is full of dirt. I take dirt from the outside. So the another one that comes up quite a bit is can I use dirt or substrate that I take from the outside? Okay, here we go. This is a tough one because I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer because anytime you have a situation where a lot of people are doing something and have been doing it for years and it's successful, it's kind of hard to go, well, Nope, that doesn't work. There's too much risk involved. You know what I'm saying? And I think there are a lot of people out there, especially, you know, folks overseas, that seems to be a popular practice where they just go out and take a shovel full of dirt from their backyard. Here are my concerns. Number one, the parasite issue. Uh, that's something that I'm always concerned with. You never know if you grab some dirt from outside what local, you know, fauna you're going to have in it that could impact your tarantulas. That always worries me. And I go back to a story a couple of years ago where somebody had all captive bred slings and tarantulas and suddenly they said I think I have nematodes now nematodes are like the big boogeyman of the hobby they don't seem to be very common when you don't have wild caught specimens it seems something that's more common with people that are buying specimens that were pulled out of the wild and you know lots of horror stories I don't want to get into the whole nematode thing right now but it's a scary proposition to have these parasite parasitic like worms in your animal that eventually kill it off. And they said they thought they had nematodes. So I said, send a pic. We went back and forth. Well, the pics did look like nematodes. I'm like, that's weird. How did they get them? To really cap, like make a long story short, what it turned out was he was pulling basically substrate from outside. And the thought process, what we came up with is that the nematodes were probably in the substrate. Now, in this instance, he wasn't doing anything to treat the substrate. A lot of people that take dirt from outside will bake it in their oven. If you bake it to a certain temperature, supposedly it can kill off anything in it. And then I've heard arguments both ways about that, where I've heard people go, yeah, you got to put it in the oven, sterilize it, and then use it. And other people going, it's going to be sterile for two seconds until it's exposed to the air, and that's not going to do anything. And then other people that say, no, you want those properties. That's what it's almost like pulling a bioactive substrate out of the wild that you want all that stuff in there because it all you know it keeps all the levels nice and the good things balance the bad things I don't know the science of it I'm not even going to pretend to but I have been privy to discussions where people are like nope you don't want to do any you don't want to bake it you don't want to treat it you take it you put it in your enclosure so as far as taking dirt directly from the outside and putting it into an enclosure I wouldn't do it personally. I will explain why. Because A, the parasites. B, I don't know what anybody sprayed around here. We have situations sometimes that we do live near big, like larger bodies of water that can attract mosquitoes and such, where if mosquitoes get bad, the state will come out and spray stuff to get rid of the mosquitoes. 
I don't want to use substrate that's been exposed to that. We don't know when people are out there. We have neighbors that have beautiful lawns. They spray stuff on their lawns. Some of that blows over into my yard. And next thing you know what? I've got contaminated substrate there. So I my big thing is I don't know what that substrate has been exposed to. I could pull out a couple shovelfuls of a wooded area and think, hey, nothing's gone on here. There's been no people here. I don't know what's been on that stuff. So that's, that's the big thing for me, the unknown, not knowing what's in it, not knowing what little bugs little parasites, possibly exposure to insecticide, or even some of the stuff we found out now is the herbicide that they use can be very hazardous. I think that that tainted, those tainted bags of substrate I had, the topsoil that I used a couple winters ago, I'm pretty sure by reading what, you know, reading about some of the studies on what herbicides can do to tarantulas, it seems to impact the molting. I'm pretty sure it was exposed to herbicides. So, I personally don't bring dirt from outside. I guess if I were to do it, I would be one of the ones that would want to bake it. I, again, I've heard arguments both ways and I, I personally would, the baking would at least get rid of any little animals that were in it. That would be my thought process. I don't know how hot you'd have to make the oven or whatever, but that would get rid of the little animals. I will tell you, having done the whole cocoa fiber baking thing in the day to dry it out, it can take a while, especially if you're using a lot of dirt. And I think that's where it becomes a little, you know, more of a pain in the butt if I'm pulling shovelfuls of dirt and I go out, I get my little wheelbarrow, I fill it out with some dirt from outside, mm, nice good dirt, and then I want to sterilize it, that's going to be a lot of baking in the oven for a lot of time, which can be kind of a pain in the patookus there. So I'm, I'm guessing most people would find it just easier to go out and spend a couple more bucks and not have to go through all that. But again, it's like you hear people like how I put up stuff like I buy the BioDude substrate and it's like 10 bucks for six quarts and people are like, why are you spending so much money for dirt? Well, I, I it's it seems to be safe to me. It has the properties I like and it's convenient for me. That's what it comes down to. I understand people not wanting to spend that much money, but I also can see the other side of the people looking at it going, why the heck would you spend $10 on a little thing of dirt when you can walk right outside your backyard and grab some. So I do get the thought process behind it. It just, again, going for the risk versus reward for me, especially having gone through the the topsoil thing and realizing it only takes one bad bag. It only takes me grabbing one batch of substrate from my backyard that might've been exposed to something to end up with a bunch of dead spiders. For me, it's not worth the risk. I'd rather spend a little more and again, I've used topsoil for years without issue. It was when I switched up the brand. So for example, I've used Scott's and I've used Timberline for years, bags and bags and bags of the stuff and never had an issue. And it's, their bags are like $1.50. So they're really, they're about as close as you can get to free. So that's not that bad of a deal for people looking to save money. And again, uh, we, can, we can go for the same argument here, risk versus reward, but you had those two bad bags and they, had, they were exposed to something. And that's truth. I have people that won't use topsoil for the exact same reason that I won't use soil that comes from the outside. And again, with good reason, because there is evidence that, I, here you go, Thomas McSpire saying I had a bad bag or two bad bags and it ripped through my collection. So I get it. it. Again, it comes down to what you feel comfortable using, what you feel the risk is worth. Obviously, there are people that do this. And I guess it really depends on where you're at. If you're at a spot where you know that they haven't sprayed insecticide, that you know there's no farms around where they might be spraying something, I will tell you that they are trimming the power lines here. We have an old railroad line that they basically turned into a walking path, but there's actually power lines that run all through it. And the power company is paying to have a bunch of these trees pulled away so they don't go down in storms or whatnot. And we got a letter from the state saying that they were going to spray some type of 
herbicide that's supposed to keep certain trees down in those areas. So now this area abuts my property. So if they're spraying this stuff, it could very easily be wafting over to the soil that's in my property. I could be grabbing that stuff. So that's the type of stuff that kind of weirds me out with it. So with the substrate or with grabbing substrate from outside, I don't recommend it. I don't do it myself. But I do know of people that use the substrate from outside and have done okay with it. So I would have to say for me, it's not worth the risk. Personally, not worth the risk. I don't need the – plus it's a pain – for me to get that stuff to a point where I'd feel safe safe using it, for me to treat it the way I'd need to treat it to make sure everything was dead, it would just be more trouble than it was worth. I don't need more chores right now. So for me, it's not worth it. But if if you want to use it, then I would just – I would speak to people that use it and find out what they do, if there's any way they treat it, what they can do to make sure that the stuff is safe because that's what would be what would worry me was bringing stuff in. And then, you know, a few, it would be one of those deals where a few months down the road or even further, you start seeing, have an issue with things just dropping dead and you don't know what's causing them. Or suddenly you find that you do have nematodes. You're like, where did these come from? I I can't figure out where they might've come from. Could have come from the soil. We don't know. I mean, nematodes are used as pest control. You can buy them. You go on Amazon, Amazon, you can find nematodes. Now, I don't know if these are the parasitic nematodes, but they're out there and we don't know what they do. So that would be my big fear with substrate, introducing something in that later on would start killing off my spiders and that it would take me a while to figure out what was causing it. The That would not be worth the risk for me, but that's something people need to determine for themselves whether or not it's something they want to take the risk for because obviously I can't say that you should never do it or that it's dangerous all the time because people do it all the time time. So a tough one there. That's my take on it. Hopefully some people chime in. If any of you guys are in the UK or any of you people out there listening have used earth from outside before, if you could tell me what you're doing, I mean, this is something I'd love to revisit later on. So if people come on with comments, go, oh yeah, I've done it for years. This is what I do. If you have a way you treat it, whatever it may be, please chime in. I don't use it. So I don't have a treatment program for it. I don't know how to, how to go about selecting where you get it from, you know, But if you do and you've used it for a while and you've had good luck with it, please chime in and let us know because this is something we could talk about in the future and I would like to hear from people that have used it without issue. Again, it's just from my standpoint right now, it's not a chance I personally want to take. Now, moving on, same type of topic. I get this one all the time. Just got one the other day. Somebody was picking up spiders and they told me, hey, I don't understand why people spend all the money on crickets and roaches and such. I'm just going outside and pulling stuff from the outside and feeding it to my spiders. That one, again, it for me is a huge no-no. And I'll explain why. Obviously, it's what I do. It's a podcast and all I do is talk. So what the issue with that is, again, exposure. We don't know what these things have been exposed to. We don't know what the prey items, what parasites are coming in with. And the big one for me, again, is that exposure to herbicides and pesticides. Pulling a prey item for outside, to me, just seems like an accident waiting to happen. Like we don't know what these things have been exposed to, whether it be earthworms, whether it be, I've heard people using roaches that they've gotten from outside. I've heard of people grabbing, you know, crickets that they've, the black crickets they find outside, beetles and such. I personally would never grab anything from the outside. It's kind of like we raised reptiles for years and people would be like, oh, why don't you just go catch rats somewhere and feed them rats or, you know, find somebody that exterminates rats and get them. And it's like, no, 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 you don't know what those things have been exposed to because they're out and about. They're eating things all over the place. Obviously, they spray pesticides and herbicides everywhere. If you're pulling stuff from the summertime, you live near a golf course, you live near a neighbor that's out there, you know, hosing down his his front yard with the herbicide 
side or whatever the you know the stuff they spray in the lawn. Our lawn's just trash. So Billy would kill me if she hears this because she takes pride in our lawn. But there's like so many weeds and stuff in it. It's like I don't care as long as it's green and looks like a carpet. I don't care what's growing out there. But we don't do any of that stuff. Like well, let's make sure you know kill all the weeds and just have the grass come through. If it's green, it's fine. But a lot of people they do obsess over that stuff and they will go out there and they will spray stuff. Now imagine you're out there spraying. You spray a couple crickets. You spray a couple grasshoppers. You spray a couple locusts. Later on, you grab those same locusts and you drop them in with your spider. That's an accident waiting to happen. So again, it comes down to exposure to pesticides and herbicides and possible infestation with parasites because we don't know we don't know how some of the pests that we have locally could negatively interact or impact our tarantulas because these these animals are naturally from areas all over the world not necessarily obviously not endemic to where we're currently living and so we don't know how those things work and that's like i think putting your tarantula in a really dangerous position to feed it something that when we don't know what it's been exposed to so that's a flat out no for me there's no risk i guess the risk versus reward is you're saving yourself money and i will say feeders can be expensive Billy and I were just in Petco yesterday, and they're charging 16 cents for a cricket, which is absolutely ridiculous to me. So I I get you're in a spot, you have a couple tarantulas, you're like, you know what, I'll grab something from the outside. But again, the reward, you're saving yourself a buck or two. The risk is you could end up with dead tarantulas, and that just isn't a risk that I'd be willing to take. So that's a no for me on the using feeder insects. I think that's pretty much for most people you talk to. That's pretty universal when you talk to keepers that have been in the hobby for any length of a time length of time there's not many people i've heard that pull their insects from outside although i have encountered a few over the years and i've tried to convince them it's not a good idea but you know one of them one of them i believe listened the other two were like well it's worked for me for a while so whatever so that's another thing i personally wouldn't do now the other thing people ask about is pulling things out of the you know their backyards out of the woods and stuff for accessories so for example branches and bark and rocks and things of that nature I, I i haven't done it much i have done it before i've done it with rocks and stuff i did have a stick that i found that was an older stick that i ended up boiling and then i ended up after boiling it stuck it in the oven i was trying to basically kill anything possible that could have been on it off and again it comes down to just my biggest worry is not so much the parasites with something like that because you can usually boiling them or basically baking them in the oven will kill off most of the stuff, the harmful things that could be on it. My biggest issue, again, would be with the pesticides. You never know what it's exposed to. But I do know a lot of people that take stuff out of the backyards, out of the woods and stuff. They go in the woods and they find bark. Buddy of mine, Charles, does a beautiful job of taking bark from trees, flattening it out. I believe he either boils or bakes it. Charles, if you're hearing this, feel free to shoot me a text and let me know which it is because I probably misspoke here. But they look great. They look like the stuff you buy online to use for the backgrounds of enclosures with the bark and stuff. The trick is making sure you kill off anything that's in it. You don't want to bring something into your enclosure that could harm your animal, as we've already stated ad nauseum at this point. But they can make some beautiful backgrounds. The things I've had back in the day, I used some things for snake enclosures that I pulled out of the wild and a couple things for spider enclosures. My biggest issue is that they mold a lot more easily than some of the stuff you buy. Like cork bark, the good thing about cork bark Although you can get mold on it, it's resistant to mold. It doesn't rot as much. With some of the wood I've pulled from outside, I have had more mold issues, and that's why I started using it. I had one where I pulled a branch out. The branch was an older branch. It was almost like one of those ones that's really hard because it's been kind of weathered for a while. And I basically shaved all the bark off it. I boiled it. I baked it. I stuck it in the enclosure. It was good for a couple months, and then there was just like a mold outbreak. It blew up all over in the substrate. It definitely came from the branch. So whatever I did... 
apparently either didn't kill the mold or only killed it temporarily. But it, I ended up pulling it out and using redoing the whole enclosure. So that's my big, my big issue, my big fear from my own experiences when I've used stuff from outside, when I have cleaned it off well, that I do end up with some types of mold and fungus that I'm not particularly fond of. But if it's something you want to try and pursue, then I would definitely go look for some online tutorials or somebody that, you know, has done it for a while. Don't just find somebody that copied somebody else and went, oh, look at what I did today. Again, it comes down to somebody that has experience doing it, has done it for a while, that can tell you some of the pitfalls, hopefully, and how to pr- uh, correctly clean the stuff up. Because you're kind of limited. You don't want to use harsh chemicals because they can hurt your tarantulas. So there's, for me, I tried the boiling, baking. I, it didn't seem to bring in any insects, but I definitely got them old. So see what's out there. Do some research. Again, the jury's out for me as far as this one's concerned. It's something that I, you know, I've done a little bit in the past. I know a lot of people that do it, so I can't really go one way or the other. It, it would worry me a little bit. Again, more more so the pesticides in this one. But there are people out there to do it, so hopefully some of them chime in. We get some more information. Maybe this could be a topic later on, like how to correctly go about pulling stuff from the outside and using it in closures if that's something you want to pursue. So that'll about do it for these topics. Hopefully these are helpful to some people because I know these questions come up a lot. And again, with the with the podcast, the nice thing about the podcast is I get questions so often that I answer repeatedly. It's nice sometimes to be able to go, somebody, somebody's eventually going to go, hey, what's your thought on the having the screen tops on the enclosures? And I go, well, I did a whole podcast on it. Started here. So these help me as far as answering questions to save some time because I can just go, well, if there are any questions after you listen to this, feel free to shoot me another email. More often than not, I don't hear back, which is good because they got the answers they needed. So if you've been in the hobby for a while and you're like, I know all this, I apologize, but they are questions that come up quite a bit. And again, some of these come up from keepers that have been in for a while some people that have you know been keeping for years and suddenly go you know what there's a great bunch of bark just fell off the tree in the backyard this just happened to me because billy and i walk and there's a tree that died and there's chunks of bark coming off it and they're like almost completely flat and perfect like i really want to use these can i use them is there a risk so i think a lot of us do get to various points to stages in the hobby where some of these questions become more relevant than they may have been before so hopefully that helps again my opinion on the matter and just from my own experience but please feel free to chime in on the Facebook page to, you know, give any of your thoughts. Have you done this before? Have you used these before? Do you use stuff from outside? Do you use substrate? From the substrate ones I really want to hear about because I, I know there is a huge contingency of folks, mostly overseas, that do this and don't have issues. But I'd love to hear more about, like, do they treat it? What do they do with it? For my own personal gratification or to satisfy my own personal curiosity. So anyway, before we move on, just a quick update. The Ophilippinus slings are molting as we speak to second instar, and those will be getting shipped off. Unfortunately, they picked the absolute worst time to do this because I don't want to ship this time of year FedEx because of the chances of delays. So the thought process was to get them shipped out almost immediately, give them some time to, you know, obviously harden up and everything and get them out so they could be sold and people could buy them. But I'm going to be holding on to them a little bit, separating them out, which is, I've got to admit, I'm not looking forward to. It takes so much time. But anyway, those are going to be ready soon. I have the featured species video. You guys have one up on the YouTube channel because YouTube folks, I never mentioned which species it was I produced, produced slings of and kind of left it a guessing game, but I've been telling everybody here that I did the Ophilopinus sling, so everybody here knows. But anyway, they're going to be going through Fear Not Tarantulas. It was the mail that I got was from Tanya at Fear Not Tarantulas, and quite frankly, she's taken the whole group of them, and what we're going to do is like a discount for people. There'll be a discount code for probably around 20% off or so for people that want to buy them. So what I will do is run the discount code on the featured species. The end of the featured species video, I'll be telling people, you know, you can get them if you're not. And if you get them in the next week or so and use this code, you get them for cheap. 
obviously, you guys, I want you to be able to get them too, so I'll make sure I run the code here. So pay attention to that. Maybe I'll just post it up on Facebook if it comes down to it. But hopefully some of you guys pick them up. I love this species, and this was one that I knew I wanted to breed from the very beginning. So it's it's really kind of a, a huge thing for me to be able to actually produce slings. And it's been neat watching them go from the little eggs with legs, the first instar to second instar. I always find that transition to be completely fascinating. And now they're going to be little, you know, cannibalistic monsters running around eating each other if I don't separate them out in a couple days. So we'll be doing that soon. I'll talk a little bit about that. But just a heads up for people that want them, they're going to be going up. Hopefully what will happen is I won't ship them out, obviously, next week with the holiday break. And the week after that, you've got New Year's, so probably won't be shipping them out that. So it'll probably be the week after that. So by that point, I'll have fed them a couple times. They'll be fattened up, hopefully in good shape. And some of you guys can see, you know, why I love this species so much. So that will about do it. Before I go, happy holidays to everybody, whether it be Hanukkah, Christmas, winter solstice, whatever you're into, whatever you're practicing, we're Merry Christmas folks over here. So I got the Christmas tree right behind me. And, you know, really, honestly, it's... This year, it's not so much about the presents. It's about the winter break. I have so much work to do, so many rehousings to do. In many ways, the Thomas Big Spider stuff is, I don't want to say like a second job, but it's its so involved with the correspondence and the comments and putting the videos together that it, it feels like a like like an Uber hobby. It's a little bit more than your normal hobby. So it's nice to have some time off to be able to get this stuff done, be able to hang with my family. We've been playing some family Fortnite over here, having a good time. So really enjoying that. So I do hope all of you have a very safe and happy holiday. As always, I do appreciate everybody that takes the time to listen to this. We hit a new mark with the Thomas Big Spiders podcast that I never thought I'd hit where we're up to around 1,300 listeners, which for me is just amazing because honestly, when I started this, my goal was 100. I wanted 100 people. I told Billy, I was like, I'm going to do this. If we get 100 people, I'll keep going. That makes it worth my while, makes it worth the time. And obviously, we've gone way beyond that. So again, not. I hope this doesn't come across in a braggadocious manner. I'm just so psyched that this did well because I really didn't think it was going to at all. So it's been such a cool thing to watch it kind of grow into something really big and, and rival the website and rival the YouTube channel. And again, what I love about you guys is you listen to all of these. I hear stories all the time and I love them. People go, I know you're probably sick of hearing this, but I this gets me through my ride to work every morning. No, I love hearing it because sometimes I sit here and do these things and I get done with them and I save them and I put them up and I'm like, who's going to really want to listen to this? So again, thank you so much. Also, a little tidbit for folks want to come over because I'm kind of excited about this. I did a trailer for my YouTube channel. I think people misunderstood. I think they thought I was going to be using it to advertise. It had nothing to do with advertisement. I don't advertise. I'm not into that. That's not this... It's not what I want to do with my channel. However, I did a trailer because I get a lot of people that don't understand particularly what I'm trying to do. So, for example, the other day I found myself going back and forth with somebody who couldn't understand why I wouldn't use clickbaity titles instead of what I use, which is usually the scientific names and exactly what the video is about. And I was trying to explain how that's just not my thing. I just, whatever, and, and I don't want this, this isn't a judgment on anybody that uses them. I think a lot of people, it, it makes sense to use titles that like, oh, my giant fireball tarantula is running around the house killing people or something like that whatever they I, they just don't come naturally to me but they were very they didn't get why I wouldn't want to promote and my thing has always been you know what when people need me they'll find me that seems to be what happens they start with a lot of the bigger guys and they come down and all of a sudden like wow you're really good I, I like your information. You seem to know what you're talking about. I'll hang here for a while, that type of deal. So I, for a while now, I was thinking about doing one of these trailers and I 
agonized over what I wrote the script. I redid the script. I, I trimmed the script. I added to the script. And just trying to nail what it is the essence of what I'm trying to do. And I finally got it done. It took forever. A lot of editing, more editing than I usually do on these videos. And I put it up and I was kind of expecting like a couple of views and people were like, oh, that's cute. And the response was like overwhelming. It was actually like I blushed because it was kind of embarrassingly complimentary. But apparently people really loved it and thought I nailed what I was trying to do, which is great because now when somebody comes on and says, you should do more exciting videos, you should do my favorite, you talk too much. Well, then go to somebody else's channel. This is what I do. It's it's about teaching. It's not about, you know, being ex exciting. Again, I don't want to be boring, but I'm not out there doing it for entertainment or the people that are like, I had somebody that literally lectured me about all the things I was doing wrong with promoting my channel and like, all right, you obviously don't get what I'm trying to do here. And bottom line, if I blow up too much, it's got, I'm already struggling to keep up with comments. I answered 178 comments the other day. I was behind only by three days and it took hours to sit down because I don't just go, hey, thanks. I, I A lot of it's answering questions and stuff. If it got too big, then I'm going to stress over, you know, trying to answer all these comments. So anyway, I did the, the trailer. I, I ended up being quite proud of it because I think it does nail what I want to do. And from now on, when somebody, you know, tries to consult me on how to better advertise myself, I'm just going to drop the trailer down and say, hey, this pretty much sums it up that this is what I'm about. So anyway, if you get a moment, please feel free to check it out and, and pop by and say hello because I love hearing from the podcast folks over on the videos. It's kind of like our own little secret club over here. You guys are the real, you know, the ones that are really into the stuff that will listen to me yammer on for, well, we're going on 40 minutes now and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. So Happy holiday to everyone. I guess I'll be doing another one before New Year's, so I won't say Happy New Year's then. Uh, New Year's always kind of bums me out, so we'll, uh, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. But as always, thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a great holiday, and we'll catch you all next time.